And I think we're going to see a flood of housing units delivered here in the next 18 months or so, 18 months to two years, and it's going to feel like a lot, but it's going to help us stabilize and balance out home values and rent growth and things like that. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, your career is affected by the current economic climate. Lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. Commercial real estate is a significant part of the overall U.S. economy. According to the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts, the total value of U.S. commercial and industrial real estate is in excess of $16 trillion, with a trillion a year in revenue. Comprising more than 6 million buildings and 71 million square feet of space, it is the backbone of the hospitality, healthcare, food, storage, and mercantile sectors, among many others. How has the COVID-19 pandemic and the shift to remote work affected the industry? Will the hot housing streak continue? How has technology become an important real estate tool? To discuss this and how it affects Montana's local markets, we are joined today on CanDo by Claire Matten. Claire is a real estate advisor with Sterling Commercial Real Estate, specializing in industrial properties. She recently became the first woman in Montana to receive designation from the Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. Support for this episode of CanDo is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Claire Matten, welcome to Can Do. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to begin talking with you today. So tell our listeners a little about your background. Oh, gosh. Well, I this is my 15th year working in real estate in general, and I've kind of touched all spectrums of it, you know, I mean, all over the board. So I started out in residential and land sales, and then I was in Montana, actually. And then um, yeah, I moved down to Phoenix and cut my teeth in the industrial world and commercial real estate. And that was it. I was hooked. And so about four years ago, my family moved back to Montana. And so I've just continued the, the working in the commercial real estate world ever since. And here I am today. So. so you've recently become the first woman in Montana to receive a designation from the Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. What does that really mean? Tell me. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important, really, because it, there's some exclusivity with that designation. And so, you know, you can't just sit through a bunch of coursework and test out and, and get this designation. You have to you have to submit um, years worth of experience and then and then prove that with that experience, a the majority, 70% of that experience is, is really in one area of expertise. And so, uh, you know, not only do you have to dig through 
all of that transactional work to really uh, hit that threshold of what you need to get to even pursue the designation. But then you need to call a bunch of your, <laughs> uh, you know, other SIOR members. Are, and really in Montana, you've got to do, you've got to call SIOR members in other markets, right? So I've got to call Boise brokers and things like that and prove my worth uh, to get some recommendations and sponsorships and support from those members. And so the neat thing about it is that, you know, the the SIOR, SIOR chairman, you know, work through your experience. They really ask you quite a few, lots of interviews, lots of questions, really digging out. Are you, are you really qualified for the designation? And then <clears throat> do your peers feel the same way? And so that's kind of the neat thing about the process. And so I think that's exciting that, you know, women are on the map now here in Montana. There are not many women that are part of this, are there? No, no. The first one in the state. And then, you know, with, there are only 3,600 members internationally, so worldwide. And so, I, you know, I, I believe, I don't know the percentage, but it's probably fewer than 10%, you know, are, really, are female. Let's talk some shop now. Give us a kind of a market report. Uh, you know, what are the headlines that you would want to share with listeners about what's happening in, in Montana and in the, the commercial and industrial real estate sector? Well, I think it's, you know, Montana is obviously COVID surprised all of us up here, right? Everybody wanted to social distance in Montana. <laughs> so what that meant was you have, a, you know, residents flooding Montana, and then you've got industry who who is now really eyeing the state and you got last mile in terms of industry, you got last mile distribution requirements that have always kind of creeped up over the, over the last, you know, three to five years here, but now it's really needed. So you've got these really dynamic companies expanding and looking to move here to meet the requests of their employees on where they want to live. And so, you know, the clients we're working with now in terms of the industrial world are really exciting, lots of jobs coming to Montana, good paying jobs. And so it's really, really exciting to kind of be one of the first people to to work with these clients and help them land here appropriately. You know, one of the consequences, maybe unintended consequences of all of this, just read a couple of days back that the San Francisco Chronicle was pointing out 20 places in the United States that might be headed towards a San Francisco-type real estate market with, you know, substantial increases in the value of the properties with a rapidly diminishing amount of inventory available. And the first city on the list was Missoula, Montana. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, it feels like that right now, but from what we're tracking in the pipeline in terms of housing development, um, I think it's all good news. You know, it, it feels like a vacuum right now because, re you know, rents, rent growth has been tremendous and it's really hard on our day to day folks. We've got industry now who can't land here because there's no housing for their employees. They can't, you know, they can't match wages to what the housing is going to cost. And so I think Luckily, with what we're tracking in the development pipeline in terms of housing is really exciting. Vacancies already ticked up from sub 1% in Q4 last year to 2.67% at the end of Q1 this year. So that's signaling some relief for our renters and our in our housing market. And so that, you know, I think some people forget that that in turn impacts industry 
And so it's all good news. And I think we're going to see a flood of housing units deliver here in the next 18 months or so, 18 months to two years. And it's going to feel like a lot, but it's going to help us stabilize and balance out. And so I think we're going to see some stabilization in, in home values and rent growth and things like that. You know, historically, Claire, uh, real estate has been seen as sort of a hedge against inflation. So we have inflation now. Is that still working the way it always has? Yeah, I mean, our market is a little different. Uh, we kind of, we follow the larger metropolitan markets. You know, we're typically about 12 to 18 months behind everybody. And so, um, you know, I think we're going to see sustained revenue return here with uh, in terms of pricing and how it's going to hedge against inflation. Um, you know, I I really think that we're gearing up to... Basically, right now there's a vacuum. There's we don't have enough quality investment product and things like that, and so there's a lot of holdup in terms of capital being moved. It, it kind of feels like a standstill right now, but I think we're going to see that shake loose. So, so to answer your question, yes. So I've I've traveled around a bit in the last few months. I've been in uh, New York City. I was in Vancouver. I was downtown. I looked out my window at office buildings and never saw anybody in any of them. So I guess the question is, with all these people working remotely, and I know we're coming a bit out of all of the the, the depths of the COVID uh, pandemic, you know, what has been the impact, you know, currently, and, and what do you see in the long term on commercial real estate, uh, you know, about this working remotely and not returning back to the old model of being in the office every day, nine to five? Yeah, I- it's an interesting conversation, one that I thought we would be done having, but it's still very, very relevant, right? And, and the opinions are all over the board. Um, so what I think is interesting about Missoula's market, you know, I, I was talking to another a, a developer out of Portland the other day, and I think their office vacancy rate is going to start seeing thirty upwards of 30% coming up here. So that hurts. That's a that's a big number, but Missoula's uh, office vacancy is tracking sub 10% right now, which I think is really interesting. And we don't have a lot of office product delivering. So we do have industry looking to move here. We do see a lot of companies that are back in the office or offering some sort of, you know, flex model. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what that looks like in the long term for in mental health for in terms of employees everybody's different right I mean it's I've got three little kids at home I can't work at home <laughs> I can't get anything done I need to go to the office but not everybody's in my same situation and so you know it it, it really depends on your employment demographic and you know generally who you're where they're at in their life cycle and things like that and so Right now, Montana's office market is looking very healthy, and it looks to be staying that way for the foreseeable future. You know, you may not be an expert on this topic, but I've we've had this as a thread through other shows this year. You mentioned having three kids; you can't. You want to get back to the office, but what, what you know? How does the the return to office after all of this time at home affect the whole daycare market? I mean, what do you do with your three kids when you go back, you know, into the office? Yeah, I mean, that's been a conversation in Montana too, right? It's been uh, daycare, childcare has been a challenge in our market, 
you know, since I returned. And it obviously hits me very personally. Um, yeah. And so uh, I know I know our office our, ourselves, we're working with a number of uh, child care providers looking to open larger facilities uh, in major Montana markets. Usually it's Missoula, Bozeman, Billings, right? And then you've got kind of our more, even though we're all tertiary in the big picture, but then you've got your, your second tier markets like Helena Great Falls. We've got child care needs all over the place. And we've got some really interesting concepts looking to come here. And then you've also got it companies that are trying to bring in, I, I think Submittable, who is a, a tech company that's in uh, located in Missoula, actually has childcare in their office. And so that's, yeah. And so you're seeing that nationwide too, and that's working really well. But, um, you know, we're, we're alive and well in terms of the need for quality childcare in Montana. And I think there's some relief on the horizon for that because I know parents like myself are losing their minds trying to figure this out. So obviously it's a, it's a tough issue and you bring up an important uh, point. I mean, you mentioned submittable. I know that uh, Amazon and Google and the Gates foundation, others provide childcare on their campuses. You know, they never used to call them campuses, but they are campuses now. So as you're looking at the future down the road, beside offering daycare, you know, does this, does this rethinking of whether to be, you know, remote all the time or some blended, you know, way of working in the future? What what do you think the office of the future is going to look like? You know, I think it's going to be kind of a one, I'm hoping it's kind of a one-stop shop where you take some stress off of your employees that have, you know, childcare requirements and things like that. And, and, you know, you're doing what, like you're saying, you know, some of these bigger companies with campuses and they have it all there. I think that's going to be a model that's going to prove to work well. If, you know, you may see some companies team up on that stuff. If you're in a shared building, you know, maybe it's something that the, you know, management can offer your tenants and, and that could really, you know, make your marketing pretty dynamic to have companies move into your building, things like that. And so I, I think there may be less of the ping pong tables, beanbag chairs, <laughs> common area, open common area space, and there be maybe more dedicated private space um, that may make. I'm seeing that that's making people a little bit more comfortable returning to the office because they've got their own area they can be in instead of this big general open area. So I think we may see a shift back to that executive suite style for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I, I've gone through, I'm old enough, I've gone through, you know, the waxing and waning of, you know, being all in one big soup bowl, so to speak, you know, or fish bowl, and then having your private space. And I always preferred having, you know, it's some private space because it's it's hard to really uh, conduct all the things you need to do when everybody's just in, in one big room. And so I think some variation of that, you know, certainly makes a lot of, of sense. We're also seeing a, a phenomenon, I think, uh, and you've already alluded to it here, where the secondary markets in the U.S. are outpacing the major cities in growth. Do you see that continuing? That that with this re, you know, thinking about what work is and a work-life balance, that people who are living in, uh, you know, you know, here in Missoula or working in a big city and are allowed to work remotely are going to continue to trend towards uh, coming to places like this. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, obviously we're addressing the housing stress um, 
you know, with with jurisdictions, local jurisdictions kind of breaking up those uh, prohibitive zoning, you know, jurisdictions that we've had that have made development for housing really tough. And so we're seeing some some loosening of that. And so that's helping, obviously, with, you know, growth across Montana from, you know, from east, west to east. Uh, so, you know, I think it's interesting. We did, we helped uh, Tonics Pharmaceuticals a couple years ago with a big land acquisition down in Hamilton, Montana. And that's typically kind of been a bedroom community, right? It's about an hour south of Missoula, not a lot of housing down there, but that's going to be almost 300 jobs in the next few years. And that's near GlaxoSmithKline, you've got Rocky Mountain Labs. And so it's really interesting to see these kind of quieter pockets of Montana end up being these really beautiful medical laboratory hubs. And you've got that drawing people from all over the world, you know, and, and they're really, and so Montana is, um, is being discovered, but it's, it's being discovered by really quality projects and quality companies coming here. I mean, you point out an important point, you bring in an international professional a cadre of 300 people to a town of 5,000 and the town has to somehow react to being able to be, you know, provide services of value to, to that population. Right. And I think, you know, designations like the SIOR, the CCIM, you're, you're, you know, us as brokers have access to software to help us gauge demand growth in markets like that. And so, you know, we are doing what we can to kind of help communities like that say, hey, look, we get this many, you know, basic jobs are coming here. That trickles down to X number of retail jobs, office jobs, things like that, residents. And so this is how many housing units you're likely going to need once this happens. And so it, that's the kind of fun stuff that you get access to by having these designations that help the your clients and the communities. It's not just about having some letters after my name. It's really what it does for the state and for those who we work with to help do this right, right? And so we don't have all this, you know, panic and stress and, and mass development and it's all done wrong. So that's that's the fun stuff. I'm speaking with real estate advisor Claire Madden. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana RailLink, committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. So we all are aware that construction costs continue to rise. And uh, I'm assuming that continues to benefit existing assets. But what about future construction? What does that do to the square footage cost and, and the ability to, uh, you know, build and create the kind of uh, commercial industrial space that, uh, that businesses can afford? Yeah, you know, I think we're seeing some leveling out in that, right? I think lumber's leveling out. I think steel's supposed to level out here. Well, that's that's a rumor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think everybody tends to focus on construction costs, like you're saying. But I think what we also overlook sometimes is, you know, land prices, infrastructure constraints, things like that. I know Missoula out west 
that's, you know, that's where we're going to grow is out west in Missoula because we're landlocked to the east, essentially. And so we do not have municipal water all the way out, you know, beyond, we'll call it the airport area right now. And so we're, you know, you've got these large industrial users looking to come here. And yes, we're talking about construction costs and things like that. But then you've got a land grab going on. So then your land costs are going up. And then you also don't have the infrastructure you need. So not only do you have waning construction costs, but then you've got infrastructure that you've got to account for too. And so that's actually kind of held off a few projects and a few companies on coming here because of that. Now, is Missoula County and the city working working to relieve that? Absolutely, but we can only go so fast. And so, yeah, so we've got a lot of that heartache here where we don't just have this massive infrastructure sitting system sitting there ready for the development. So that's another stress that's kind of impacting deals right now. Yeah, I mean, working in your sector, when you buy a house, you buy a house, it's either... On a, you're going to on a piece of land that uh, you know that's off to the side, or you're in a development, but it's not so focused on the infrastructure that's necessary. But if you're building, uh, you know, a, an industrial or you know large multi-use c- commercial facility here, you have to have all sorts of other support systems in place, and uh, and you can't do it, you know, on your own. I mean, you can't put in streets and lights and and sewage and and connected to everything as a uh, you know private company because it impacts all of the the public uh, um, land that's all around it. You know, it, it, are there are there breakthroughs in that, or are are there ways to to uh, move forward on that 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 look promising? Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've sat through a few meetings with you know some really important decision makers in terms of you know the direction of some of that stuff recently, some civil teams and you know, county planners and things like that. And it's definitely like, you know, that's the top of their list. They're working, you you know, because we work with them so frequently and we're telling them what's holding up, you know, well, why, why didn't we land this company? Why'd they go to Idaho? Why'd they pick, you know, it's like, well, here are the reasons, infrastructure or housing or things like that. And so it's the top of the list. I think there's going to be some, some real relief probably in the next three to five years. Um, but everybody's doing what they can to work around it and to to find the best solution in the now that, you know, is adjustable down the road. And one of the points I think that's for the future that I'm sure is is one that uh, has to be a public-private collaboration is sort of the last mile technology stuff. Yeah, it, almost every company now has some some high-speed bandwidth needs for the processing of their data, their information, their back office kind of work. It's all becoming uh, not only, uh, uh, you know, uh, computer and and digitally, you know, organized, but you also have now blockchain technologies and stuff. And the faster is always better. And uh, I'm sure that's a challenge as we move west out of town, having that kind of uh, high-speed data access available. Right. And actually, Sterling, we just helped two, uh, you know, national credit groups that are uh, actually they that's what they're bonded to do here. And, you know, we received the bond, I think it was 45 million or something. I can't remember the number uh, to help with that fiber installation here in, in Montana. And so there are two groups that have now found buildings and they are here. And that's what we're going to see roll out in the next year. You know, and that's critically important. I just drove to uh, Big Sky 
a couple of days ago, and there were a lot of dead spots. You couldn't even use your cell phone, you know, particularly when you're heading down, you know, um, south from uh, from Bozeman, you know, towards uh, Yellowstone Park. You, you go through 20, 30 minutes where you can't maybe make even a phone call. And, uh, you know, we need to be in, obviously, uh, uh, constant communication with the rest of the world. 30 minutes seems like a lifetime not to be able to check on data or look something up or figure out, uh, you know, what your customers or clients, uh, you know, are going to be needing. Right. I, you know, I know Montana's always taken so much pride in kind of being the Wild West, right? And the last be- last best place. And we we still are, you know, we just, we want to see that success continue and we've got to stay relevant and, you know, competitive with the rest of, you know, the country. And so we need to be able to offer services to, you know, the employer that's probably going to employ my children someday. Right. I mean, if- you know, if Salesforce or Microsoft or any of these, you know, Amazon, doesn't matter, Google, you know, the executives want to move here. They want the same kind of uh, speed of data that they had when they were living in uh, San Jose or uh, San Francisco or Seattle. And we have to be able to at least provide that. I mean, that's like having, in the old days, making sure you had telephone service. You have to have that or else they're going to look somewhere else. I know. And I think it's, yeah, it's so easy to forget about that stuff, right? It's like... You know, you you just go about your day. You don't think of how you get how how it all happens. But yeah, yeah, it's a process. Claire, a great deal of real estate investment is speculative. I've seen as much as twenty percent of all real estate is uh, you know being bought as uh, speculation. What are the potential consequences of that? Uh, you know, rising interest rates. I think are the biggest thing that's going to impact leverage and and really what you can go in and and buy product for obviously interest rates have stayed low and competitive in recent years and so deals have gotten really skinny because you know and price cap rates have compressed and things like that because um, you're able to make it work with with super low interest rates so as the treasury bond ticks up and as we see a little bit creeping up of interest rates, we're going to see a little bit of heartache from investment from investors saying, you know, I don't know if I can make this work like I could a couple of years ago. Um, but I think everybody is still super bullish on Montana in terms of looking for product out here. So I don't see any waning in terms of wanting to go after um, investment product in Montana at all. It's just going to be the mechanics of the deal. And so, you know, that, you know, the interest rates and stuff like that will just impact us nationwide. But I think Montana, I see, you know, full steam ahead. Everybody's looking really bullish up here. And is that is that in general? And does it specifically also apply to, you know, industrial and commercial asset classes? Is it, is it, is it beyond just, uh, you know, residential speculation here? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think industrial has kind of climbed above the rest of the asset <laughs> classes in, in recent years, as you pr- you probably know. And so I think people feel like industrial is a safer place to be. And so they sleep better at night knowing that, you know, they've got their warehouse, you know, because retail thrives so much off of industrial as well, right? And so they, they're kind of sister products. And so um, I, I think with the population gravitation towards Montana, all of the industrial requirements we need for last mile, for, um, you know, manufacturing. Think of all the trades that are going to be here with all this development, right? All the housing development. You've got your 
your skills, your trade skills. You've got all those guys that need warehouse space that need, you know, this is all on top of last mile. So, you know, I think, um, I, you know, I, of course I gravitate to industrial. I think it's the best, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, but we're still seeing a lot of comfort with retail and office and, um, you know, a lot of land grab going, going on right now in our bigger markets. And so, yeah. And so, um, I, I obviously industrials at the top of the choice. I see a lot of multifamily guys as well, kind of moving into, well, we like industrial too. And I just, again, I think it's like this lower risk. We feel safe. We can get cheaper money. You know, we can get more money allocated to these types of products rather than a retail or office building. As you talk to, uh, you know, industrial and and commercial uh, uh, possible uh, clients who want to open their operations here, is having the University of Montana and Missoula College a big selling point for them as they look at this community compared to others that they might move to? Yeah, I mean, the university has always been the largest employer here, and so that's that's been really helpful. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a shift, though. I mean, we've got uh, three tech companies here now, um, and we're going to see, obviously, a pharmaceutical and then we're seeing a, a big shift in that dynamic and then we're going to have some really large industrial users landing here in the next couple of years and so that's going to change but yeah I mean the university is going to consistently bring an employment base to pull from and things like that so I think that you know is going to keep Missoula kind of at the forefront of you know choices on where people are going to land. So you see a pretty bright future for Missoula. Uh, obviously, uh, um, Bozeman and to some extent, uh, Kalispell kind of fits into that same kind of mold in, in some degree or another. Um, but what about the rest of the state of Montana? If you were doing an overall picture, you're taking the taking the temperature of the entire state. You know, what, what's your what's your sense of, of how we are how we are doing? Yeah, so I mean, I think if you think about Missoula, Bozeman, Billings, and where that sits on the distribution artery in terms of I ninety. So you're gonna have you're gonna have that be the primary spot where everybody's gonna land. And so what what's happening is people are being priced out of those markets now, unfortunately. And so now you're seeing the gravitation towards some of these secondary markets like Helena, Great Falls, even Butte is actually seeing a really cool comeback. Um, and so, but what? What hurts in that and those areas, you know, again, Helena's kind of, these areas can be off the 15, but you got to think on how they can get product there. How, you know, does it take a company an extra, you know, two, three days to get, you know, supplies up to an area. And so that's going to hurt some of the growth in those areas, but that may not be a bad thing. You know, those, those areas will just stay a little bit smaller. So I, I guess, um, it's been really interesting to kind of watch the vacancy, the housing, the the migration move all over the state because you've got you've got folks from out of state coming, but then you've got all this movement from locals too. It's it's really interesting. I assume you would agree Claire that having the new terminal open here in Missoula and having a a world-class air facility is also a good selling point for people who are looking at uh, the, the greater Missoula area as a place to relocate or to uh, to start their business or expand their business. That's right. Most of my conversations are, you know, if I can fly there in a day, I will go there. You know, my company can go there. 
And so opening up that airport expansion is is good. Obviously, that conversation is is going to be much different now because I we're getting more and more calls from East Coast folks. We never got calls from East Coast money or East Coast companies, you know, but now they can get to Bozeman. And now they so this is a it's been a great project for the community to work on because these are the things I think that they don't realize because they're not having these conversations every day like we are. But yes, if if a company can, if, if an executive can fly there in a day, then they're going to take a really hard look at a location in Montana. And as you know, in Bozeman, the, some of the large local uh, um, develop, developers and some of the local employers there have subsidized airlines. So now Bozeman has nonstop flights from Boston and New York and uh you know, other places have some other airlines that we don't have in Missoula, and they actually have, uh, you know, doubled the number of departures that that Missoula's had. They've gone past, they're the number one airport in the state, and they, you know, have, have half our population. So that kind of shows what might be able to happen if we can, you know, demonstrate, uh, you know, the availability of, uh, of passengers coming out of this area. That's right. And I know Missoula is still seeing just kind of those seasonal flights open up, you know, Dallas, Chicago, places like that. And, you know, selfishly, I like to travel to those places anyway. So I'm I'm looking forward to having that be a year round thing rather than just, you know, May to October. Last question, Claire. You have an investor come to you. They're interested in, you know, industrial or commercial investment, you know. What what's your pitch to them? Tell me what you tell them about uh, you know Missoula or even Montana in general. I'm thinking of coming to Mo- Montana. Why should I do it? Yeah, the first conversation I have to, I always have to have is talking about return expectations because most people are on board. But you know, let's say you live in New York or or Boston or and you think the Montana is a land of ten percent cap rates and it's just not it's not the case anymore. There's a lot of capital being displaced in Montana. And so um, basically trying to get everybody up to speed on the the growth and the interest level in Montana kind of helps set expectations, right? And then then it's really fun to talk about, you know, the, the projects on the horizon in different markets and why this one's interesting and why, you know, you should consider here is, here's got, you know, where I think is opportunities in the next five years and why I would buy land in this area. So it, so it's setting expectations in terms of return because, you know, cap rates are similar to larger metropolitan markets uh, up here right now. And then from there, it's, it's really fun to talk about the industry moving to, the, the, to our different markets up here in Montana. Claire, you have an exciting job and an exciting career with a lot of growth. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights and perspective. Well, thank you for having me. This has been great. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guest contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time when I'll talk with Richard Eggers of Bitterroot Cannabis Company about the impact of recreational cannabis on Montana. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.